Hey everyone, uh, this is the first episode of Clubhouse Talk. My name is Kylie Morrison. Um, I, I am one of the co-hosts of this show. Uh, my other co-host is Joseph Moraz, which I'll uh, allow him to introduce himself here in a second. Um, this is going to be a generalized uh, sports conversation podcast. We'll talk about the teams that we really enjoy the sports that we're really involved in and follow a lot. And uh, to begin with, I'll let Joe kind of give a little background on himself. So, Joe? Yeah, so as, as Kylie said, uh, my name is Joe Mraz. We've been lifelong friends since we were about three years old. We grew up playing pretty much every sport in the book from baseball, you know, playing pickup football in our backyard. Um, went on to kind of narrow our vision a little bit down to golf. We played on the same high school golf team where we won a state championship in 2015. And then I went on to play college golf at Spring Hill College. Um, but outside of that, I'm a diehard Braves fan, Ohio State and Notre Dame fan, and then obviously an avid, avid golfer um, with my favorite playing or being, of course, the big cat tiger. And then um, a Green Bay Packers fan as well. So those – are a lot of the teams that we'll cover a little bit more in depth throughout the podcast. Um, we'll try to remain unbiased, but there's no unbiasy at, here. Are you kidding me? At, at times, if you're um, perhaps a Nationals or a Phillies fan, you might not like the water too much. But that's sort of our background. I'll let Kylie elaborate more on his sports background. Yeah. So um, I grew up a lifelong UT fan. My dad went there. Um, I, like Joe said, played, played competitive golf growing up, um, had opportunities to play in college, decided not to pursue those because I wanted to go to UT and uh, enjoy all the sports there. It was not necessarily were the best sports years at UT when I went there. I uh, just graduated in May, so certainly saw some up and downs uh, with the football team. Basketball is getting better. Um, but now I, uh, now I live in Nashville, so as soon as uh, fans can start Going back at full capacity, I'll probably go back to a lot of the games in person, um, but still follow uh, golf avidly as well. Uh, lifelong Braves fan like Joe, uh, grew up in Atlanta before going to UT and moving to Nashville. We, my family had uh, Braves season tickets for years, so uh, Braves are another one of our huge, huge common sources here. I don't have an NFL team per se. I like to just kind of follow it, love playing fantasy, um, but no, no diehard team in, in that realm at all. So it's really Tennessee and the Braves for me are my two, two biggies. So kind of as we go into the sports podcast, we'll talk mostly about the sports that, I, that are current, um, what all is going on. Uh, so, as, you know, right now it's obviously football season. So we'll discuss a lot about college and NFL. And then uh, as basketball season hopefully gets, gets going here in a few weeks, we'll bring in some college basketball talk and then – uh, off-season stuff, a lot of Braves news if there's anything that comes up and generalized uh, baseball off-season and then hopefully come come April or Mar March and April, we'll be back in a baseball season again. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and begin here with, uh, I'm sure what we both want to talk about a lot now, which is uh, the Masters was today, Masters Sunday. So yeah. let's... An exciting uh, week for uh, golf fans. It was kind of worked out perfectly to start off the podcast with this, but Honestly, I don't think this Masters could have gone any better other than maybe Tiger not making a 10 on hole 12. But outside of that, I loved the result. I thought Augusta did about as good as they could, given the cards they were dealt being in November. The course played extremely different than what we've seen at past Masters, which we'll dive into a little bit more. But I thought Augusta did a great, great job putting the tournament together, and it's still kind of felt like that special rare air that you normally get at Augusta that other tournaments outside of, you know, the British open U S open PGA players don't really have. So yeah, it no, was cool. This it was, was kind uh, of a return to normalcy for us. This was certainly a, a great, a great tournament to finally get back. I mean, we've been waiting however month, many months now since last April to, to get this going. I mean, master's week is, I probably for any golf fan out there, it's it's the top week of the year from any major, any tournament. It's the one that you look forward to. So to have this, have it postponed back from April, but we finally we did get it in this year. Um, ended up having great weather for it, surprisingly, and 
in November. Um, I know they had the rain on Thursday, but after that, it ended up being beautiful weather. It almost felt, almost looked like spring weather out there, kind of with the temperatures that, that they were getting. Uh, the humidity was up even uh, in November out over there in Augusta. So, uh, I first off, I mean, huge, huge congrats to DJ. I mean, I know me and you both both love the guy, number one player in the world. I mean. There's, there's not much to not like about Dustin's game. I mean, he, he's gotten so good over the last few years in, in making his wedges so much better, uh, getting, getting the short game, getting the putting down. I, he used to just be kind of a bomber, and then he would have the flaws when he started to get up short near the green. And I, I don't think there's a flaw in his game anymore. Uh, it's, it's crazy to watch. And when he gets rolling, it, it's, something, it's something to watch. Yeah, he's he's definitely special. I was actually talking about this earlier today with one of our mutual friends that the Dustin that we saw in 2010 with the lead at Pebble Beach and that U.S. Open just absolutely collapsed and shoot 81 or whatever it was. It was something in the 80s. It wasn't good. Yeah. But that Dustin doesn't even exist anymore. He completely transformed his game about five years ago when he started working with Butch Harmon to go from hitting a draw to hitting a fade and then really dialed in his wedges. He's, he's a complete full player. Now he's not just a bomber, which is how he kind of got known for on tour early on, but it's pretty rare to see the guys that can hit it 340 out there where they want to also be able to hit really delicate wedge shots. And that's why, you know, you don't win 24 times on tour by chance. He's definitely the real deal. And he's probably been the best player of this last decade. And what is this now? I think consistency. 14, I mean, if you count this with, with every, I don't know how they're going to want to count this in terms of the streak for him, but it's, it's been, I think, 14 straight years. He's won at least one tournament on tour. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they're going to count this into the 2020-2021 season um, for that for him because technically with the 2020 ending at the tour back in September. So, I mean, I guess that streak continues for him. Um, I, I mean, he's been a completely different player ever since – once he got that monkey off his back at Oakmont a few years ago at the U.S. Open and he finally closed one out, I mean, I feel like ever since then he's really, really just been one of uh, – you can't beat him when he's playing his best. No, that, I, I don't think you can. I think – sorry. I think Dustin is one of a handful of guys between, you know, him, Rory. I guess you could even throw in Kepka, maybe Justin Thomas – when they're playing their best, they can't be beat. And I would even say that Dustin's probably a step beyond that because when he's – he never really is off with his ball striking. It's it's just better – good or better. It's never bad. And when he's rolling the rock, hitting good wedges, he's pretty much unbeatable. Yeah, it's – I completely agree. I mean, there is uh, – there really is a few a few number of players in the world that when they play their best – it doesn't matter what anybody else in the field has. I mean, you're just not touching them. And Dustin's probably at the top of the class in the terms of when he's playing his best, he's, he's going to still probably beat Rory or Kepka. Um, JT's getting close. I, I don't, I don't know if I want to put JT there yet. I, I don't think we've seen JT really put it all together for 72 holes of just absolute domination in a tournament. Um, he's, I know he's won a major and he's won plenty of tournaments, but I just don't think he's had that pure domination moment yet. So I can't say that. I mean, you could, you could say it of Spieth a few years ago. You definitely can't say it nowadays. Cause uh, it, I'm telling you that man needs to take six months off of golf. I, if I was his coach, I'd tell him don't touch a club till March and then go reset for Augusta in April. Cause man, that guy has some, he has some demons in his head. Yeah. No, there's, there's no doubt. I was, I was watching this weekend a couple of times and it was even hard to watch because for people who don't play golf very much, you can tell a lot about where someone is mentally on how they are over their ball and over the pre-shot routine. And there was a snippet of Jordan Spieth hitting balls on the range not that long ago. And he was at a dress for 45 seconds over the ball on the driving range. And that is a place of zero consequence. And he was just standing there scared to pull the trigger. And that's, a pretty telltale sign where he is mentally with his ball striking. And it looks like he's starting to putt a little bit better, but I don't think he'll ever get his putter back to where it was in 2015. That was just, that was a historically amazing season. I mean, you can't, you can't keep up that pace of making putts like he did. No, 
and he's just uh, he's like you said he's just fighting some pretty serious demons that come with having a two-way miss that he got away with for a while and I think it started to catch up to him a little bit yeah, I think any golfer out there especially I'm sure me and you I know I've I've had it before of a two-way miss and I'm sure you've probably had it of right, there is truly nothing worse in golf than when you stand over a ball and you know that you have a miss going in both directions because as a pro, you could play it if it's if it's one side or the other. I mean, you can at least eliminate half the. That's what you have to. You have to eliminate half the uh, golf course. And if he can't eliminate half the golf course, then it's just not going to happen. So I hope for his sake, because I love it when he's playing well. It, it's so much fun when he's out there and he's putting and he's you know hitting it in there tight and making these tournaments fun. Plus him and JT and Ricky, there there's just such a fun group of young guys playing out there that I hope he can get it back, but I mean, DJ. Yeah. I I think he, like you said, I think a little time off would do him good, but when you're wired like that and you've worked so hard your whole life, the time off would be a tough, tough thing to push on someone like that. But so I was going to say, so going back a little bit, you mentioned uh, how well they did again, the course ready for, for November play. Um, and you said that you thought it played differently. And in what ways do you think that the course actually uh, played played different in November? I mean, I have a few ideas myself, but I'm curious of what you have. It was definitely softer. There, I think there's no question about that. They got some pretty heavy rain um, going into Thursday morning's round, and they'd even push it back. But even the Saturday and Sunday rounds, the greens weren't nearly as quick where a lot of those putts – in April or in past masters are pretty slippery and you could tell they weren't rolling as fast as they were. And there was also, they overseed at Augusta. So they have some rye grass coming up there too, which is a little stickier than uh, the Bermuda grass. So I think it's just a combination of those two things, but that's just the card they got dealt. They can't control the rain and they can't control the season. And they, they had, they went with the overseeding, which is what, most good courses in the South do. And yeah, it tends to be a little stickier. So when I was watching some of the things that I saw that you almost never see is when people miss on that left side on 18, it always kicks down into the flat. Yep. And the ball wasn't doing that. It was staying in some cases on that slope, which is just, I've never seen personally. Um, (laughs) There were, I mean, balls on the green ripping back doesn't happen. Balls sticking on the ridges doesn't oh, happen. The, one, the, the thing for me was watching um, the first three days I saw this consistently. was watching balls on 15. These guys are hitting – I mean, because it was soft, they're hitting – they're not hitting irons into 15. They're going at it – a lot of them are going out with hybrids and woods. And, I mean, and they're flying balls right in that green, and it's sticking, and it's stopping almost in its pitch mark or a foot away. And – that hole just is infinitely easier if you're doing that because one of the one of the great things about that hole is you've got you've got water short and a false front that leads back in the water and then you've got water long, so you've got to fly something that lands right over that false front on the front, run out onto the green, and then hope you stay on. In previous masters, and then now these guys are they're landing balls with woods that are just going to fly to pin high and stop and. And like you said, they can only do so much. They got three quarters of an inch of rain in an hour on Thursday morning. I mean, sub air will only do so much. But, Mm -hmm. I mean, the course, I agree that it definitely played different. I mean, I heard on the broadcast today they were saying some caddy that it – they didn't say which one, but had been out there for 12 years, uh, didn't even open up his yardage book this week because he thought it played so differently. It it is the same course, but he just thought that – the way the grass was, uh, the way the grass was, the way it was flying, everything was just flat out different in November. And I, and I thought it was a cool change of pace. I mean, even with the no fans, I actually thought it was kind of cool for, for this week. It, it's probably the last Masters I ever want to see with no fans. But I actually thought it was really cool to kind of see the serenity of the place and how, how quiet and pristine Augusta really is. Um, in that sense, I thought that was almost kind of cool. You got to see more camera angles than you normally do and see a lot more of the undulation and the mounting of the course. Um, so I thought that was also really, really well done by all the coverage. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I've, I've never been to Augusta and I saw angles like on the, the 14th tee box. I didn't realize that 
the holes connected right there on the right because there's always fans lining that tee box. So it was definitely cool to see those different angles to open up the course a little bit where there's normally grandstands. Um, it was cool. One of the shots last year that Tiger hit on 11 after he hit his tee shot really far right, that was all stamped down by the fans. It was like thick, lush grass this year when I think it was Dylan Fratelli hit it over there. So it, it was definitely cool to see Augusta as it would play if you're just, well, for lack of a better word, an everyday member at a guest yeah. national. <laughs> but uh, no, it was definitely cool. Like you said, hopefully it's the last time that we see it without fans or in November. But In some ways, I'm sure it was easier. I'm sure there were probably some bailout areas that got opened up to players just because of no galleries and stuff that they wouldn't be able to, especially like right on 15 was one that I know that players talked about specifically. They said that they could take advantage of um, with no, when they're going for the green, but just stuff like that that you normally wouldn't be able to take advantage of just because there are fans there. And I mean, nobody wants to hit a, nobody wants to hit a person. So you're not going to aim for the crowd and, and, play from there so plus you're risking some bad lies over there too where all the trampled down grasses uh i'll i'll say this so you brought up or we were talking about the rain a little bit and man i i am i'm so sick and tired of this how stupid is it that august national not allowed the broadcasters to save mud ball i think it's kind of ridiculous but you know <laughs> i i understand that i mean augusta when you look at the best courses in the world you know if you say that augusta isn't you're gonna have to defend that against me till you die because <laughs> I, I will i'm willing to go out on that shield but i mean you got to call a spade a spade at some point a mud ball is a mud ball it's yeah a mud if, there, ball if there's the you the can't you, the course can't do anything about it like there's yeah. nothing for them to be ashamed of that it rained yeah. augusta is not immune to mother nature if you we get don't mud need melting dotty pepper out there on on Sunday afternoon calling DJ shots saying that there's a little earth on the ball. Like, like what, like what is going on here? Like, just say it's a mud ball. Like it happens. It sucks. Golfers hate it, but I'm not saying they need to play lift clean and plays out there, but I'm just saying like, like just accept, accept matters for what it is. No, I agree. I think it's a little snooty, but yeah, that, Actually, I think Fowler broke that rule today. I heard him mention the the word mud. I wonder if Augusta, wonder if uh, <laughs> wonder if Fred's gonna get out there. Fred really's gonna get out there and yell at him a little bit after afterwards on the broadcast. But was it uh, Gary McCord who got pulled from Masters coverage for saying there's sex wax on the green? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> Maybe we won't see Nick Faldo recap how he he's won a couple green jackets every year. Man, Faldo is a piece of work. I, I I was actually surprised he. Earlier in the week on uh, Thursday, he was starting to talk a little bit about rolling back the golf, you know, rolling back the technology and making it shorter. And then he kind of talked himself back out of it on Friday. But that's a, that's a good, good point to bring up because going into this week, everybody was talking about Bryson trying to drive the green every day on one. And pretty much every golf analyst was saying that this is Bryson's tournament to lose. And he was pretty much irrelevant from the start. So I will in, say I expected – I don't uh, – I'll get into it a little in a second, but I did not expect him to actually compete well this week. I thought the same thing because when, when I've watched Bryson play, I've always been suspect of his short game because I think when you have a 60-degree wedge that's the same length as your 7-iron, you're giving up some control no matter how, <laughs> many anal, how much analytics you put into it. And at Augusta – and this is the easiest – frankly, that the short game conditions will probably ever be out there. Yeah. No and doubt. he got eaten alive around those greens. And I, think I don't think he's shows... ever going to be able to putt there. I mean, the man, I, I mean, don't give me, I understand every other tournament has it and it'll work well for him. But I mean, those green reading books are half the battle for him on the greens and he relies on them so much and Augusta refuses to allow it. I'm frankly fine with it. Um, I, I think that that needs to be something into the game that, requires skill to be able to read a green and with your own eyes and not looking at a book, but he can't do his scientific calculations on, on the slopes on the green. And if you look at his putting statistics at the masters comparative to the rest of the courses on tour, I mean, it's drastically different how much worse he puts at Augusta. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's a huge detriment to his game and honestly kind of a weakness that he's so reliant on, science and analytics that he 
sacrifices the field that people who've been successful at Augusta have had. Like if you look at the people who have really lit up Augusta national over the years, like Phil tiger, you know, Bubba, they all had like incredible shot shaping capabilities and imagination. And he just doesn't even have a speck of it really. I mean, you, yes, he's transformed the game. He's willing to do other things, but he's banking that off of the numbers that he's seeing through the new technology. So, I mean, hey, it's worked. I can't deny it worked. He won a U.S. Open, and he won it handily by it. Like, clearly the strategy can work. I just – I don't know if that's – if bullying Augusta, even though I know it's not the longest course out there on tour, and you can cut some corners. But, I mean, I, la- I laughed at – I don't know how many people said he was going to drive one. I don't think he got within 90 yards of the green one time. No, I don't think he did either. I, I think Augusta is just one of those courses that – Yes, with the better technology, it'll the scores will get lower because I mean, just with the shells of those greens, being able to hit a you know a nine iron versus six or seven iron in a room, it's a huge difference. But I think relative to a lot of other places that they play on tour pretty regularly, I think it's going to stand up a lot better just because of how difficult those greens are. Because I mean, you can have a five foot putt that breaks a foot and a half. Yeah, and there's and, there's no equation for for helping you out on that one. If that's just yeah. That's just pure pure guts to to stick to your line and hit the right speed on that type of field putt. Yeah, but um, I was surprised at him playing as bad as he did. I'm not surprised that he he did get some awful break. I will say the the break on three on was that Friday that that happened where he made triple. He lost the ball. That was a terrible terrible break. And then the marshal found it like. Five minutes later. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was like two. I mean, I know they changed the rule to three minutes, but I, I, they were looking in the wrong place. I don't know how someone didn't radio down there to say that y'all are looking fifteen yards for the left and you should be. But I mean, that I'll give them credit. Like, hey, that's rub with green, terrible break. But at the same time, you got to be able. That happens in golf. You got to be able to take those things in stride. And after that happened, the rest of that round, he was an abs. I mean, he was pouting pretty much the rest of the day on the course. Yeah, he was checked out. But uh, other than that, yeah, I thought I thought it was a great tournament. I thought, like I said prior, Augusta did everything they could. And it was cool to see some new names start to get up there in the leaderboard. Cameron Smith made a bit of a run. Dude, um, how about him? I mean, what a crazy fact. No one had ever shot in sixty in the 60s for four days at Augusta. How many years have they I mean, playing this for 80 years or whatever, and no one's done it? That blew my mind. I know. How, I to think that Tiger – Jack or Arnold or Gary, any of those guys. I'd never – I mean, even – I understand that the scoring's gotten better there, but 469s is 12 under. It's Until today, the scoring record was 18 under. It's not like that was sniffing the scoring record. No, it wasn't. It, that, that was a surprising stat as well. I think that just shows no matter how times you play that course, it still has some teeth outside of the beauty of it. Speaking of uh, some new name, this isn't a new name on the leaderboard, but it was a little bit new coming up the last day because, man, this guy played terrible once again in the first round and then dug himself a hole that he couldn't come out of. Rory coming into Augusta once again for his career Grand Slam and once again coming up short after, I think this is the second year last year he killed it over the last 45 holes. I think he last, if you took the 2019 Masters and, took the last 45 holes, he beat the rest of the field by six shots. Like, this is what he's done the last few years is he's gotten, dug himself a hole and then he fights his way back and gets top 10. But is this – do you think Augusta could truly be Rory's U.S. Open the way it is to Phil? It's starting to look that way, but I think – I do think Rory will get one. I think it's more of a matter of time where – because they play the same course and it sets up well for people who hit it long right to left. And that's what Rory does. I think it's just the pressure that he's putting on himself is like why he gets off to these poor starts. And then once he's you know seemingly out of contention, he starts to let it go a little bit more. Whereas Phil at the U S open, it was a new course pretty much every year. He had a couple cycle back through and I mean, fought, what is it? Five runner ups for Phil. Five or six, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, that's that's tough to get that close. I mean, Phil's arguably one of the best U.S. Open players of all time. He's never going to win it. Yeah, I don't but know. <laughs> I, I mean, on the other side, Rory's got some pretty serious demons at Augusta, too. I mean, he 
that was probably the worst collapse I've ever seen by a player of that caliber. In 11. Um, in 11. And then when Patrick Reed won, he was in the final group, and I think he shot over par that day too. So I do think he'll get one, but I think it needs to be sooner than later because the longer this lingers out, the longer it's going to become Phil at the U.S. Open. No so, doubt. I mean, I think – and I also think a thing that's going to be huge for him that I really thought was working well for him this week is it needs to be something where he's not the talk coming into it. He's typically one of the top two or three storylines um, going into Augusta's, hey, here's your career grand slam. I mean, this week it was literally all Bryson. It was 95% Bryson and like 4% Tigers repeating defending and then the rest then the last 1% was just the rest of the golfers like there was no other storyline pretty much other than Bryson so it needs to be something like that for him I believe where it's not where he's not the talk of the tournament coming in I mean maybe it can work in April because Bryson will once again be at the forefront of the headlines I guarantee come April Masters there's no doubt about it because people are going to see what type of adjustments will he make this time around yeah, no, I, I agree. And I think, honestly, that played in DJ's favor this week because DJ – DJ was under – nobody talked about DJ coming in. No, nobody talked about DJ. And he's – I mean, his last six starts, he's got like three wins and three runners up or something. Yeah, ridiculous. it's something ridiculous like that. It's – and, I mean, people weren't even talking about the guy. And if you want to talk about distance, I mean, DJ has probably more natural distance than anyone on tour. He's got 340 easy and he doesn't even look like he swings that hard. I mean, granted, he does, and he swings fast, but it doesn't look it, it looks like effortless for him. like Bryson, rather. Yeah, Bryson looks Bryson. like he's trying to take the cover off of it. And you look yeah, at you DJ know he's going all at it. And that's why – I mean, I think that's why Justin has had a lot of continued success is because of, he's got a long, flowing swing, where like Jason Day, for instance, is really short and attacks the ball, Tiger – had injuries for pretty much the same reason and Dustin and Phil even is pretty long both have had really long flowing swings and those are the two guys in the last 30 years that have had really continued success no doubt uh, I mean I think there's one thing we can both agree on it's that uh Dustin will probably continue to compete at Augusta for a long long time I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past a repeat in April. I mean, the the guy gets on these hot streaks where he's just is a world beater for a couple months at a time. And I mean, I mean it feels since, like the only thing that stops him is himself nowadays of just injuries. Like it literally feels like that's the only thing that holds him back. The only thing that's ever stopped him is himself. <laughs> I mean, really, like it. He he could have realistically had four majors at this point in his career. Yeah. I mean, you look at him grounding the club in the bunker at Whistling Straits, granted, long time ago, much younger player. The collapse at Pebble, I mean, U.S. Opens are a little bit of a different beast because it's just – That's his first time under the wire. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, Some people pull it off, some people don't. It, it just is that pressure, and you don't know what you're going to do until you get in that situation. Yeah, but the one that was kind of like the turning point in his career – Really, is when he had that three putt at Chambers Bay. It was kind of everybody wrote him off as like, okay, DJ can't close. Like this has been several times now because he he blew that iron out of bounds at the British Open. I want to say it was like 2013 when he was in contention, and then Chambers Bay three putts from 15 feet, and then since then with a lead, he's been pretty tough to beat. Yeah, I mean. It's it's not. I, I mean, I can't put anybody in Tiger Tiger's range. I mean, there's some incredible statistics, and I could be I could be off on my numbers here, but I am pretty sure that the PGA Tour average converting a 54 hole lead is like 66 percent. Tiger's career was 44 46 so far when holding a 54 hole lead. Like nobody's going to be as automatic as Tiger, but I mean, DJ's getting to that point where it's like. I mean, did you have any doubt today when DJ was teeing off that he was going to win? I, I know I didn't. I didn't think that there was a – I thought people would get close, and it happened. I think Sunjay got within – either Sunjay or Cameron Smith, they may have both gotten within one at one point, but nobody tied him. It's, you never felt like today he was going to lose. No, he was never out of control of the tournament. And he, he made those two bogeys on the front nine, but – he birdied the hole before and then he birdied the hole after. So it was 
he was in control the whole time. And he has that, it's crazy when I listened to his post-round interview, he said he was nervous the whole time, but he, he's just like unflappable when you're watching him out there. I he feel just, like you could, put, you could put a heart rate monitor on him and his heartbeat's going to stay the same the whole time. It's like going to be yeah. 70, 70 beats a minute the whole, the whole round. Yeah, but he, he just stays in his rhythm and he's got that kind of under-the-radar killer instinct that is what makes good golfers great golfers. And I think that's why he was – in control of his game the whole day today and went on to win, which was probably one of my favorite masters ever to watch other than last year. I mean, last year is going to be the top probably for in our lifetimes, just with tiger being, you know, that golfer growing up, but um, moving a little bit different pace here. Um, starting to wrap up our master's talk. I promise we'll get to something else for you guys. Um, but Andy Ogletree being low am obviously uh we both know the guy. I have a mutual friend that played at Georgia Tech. We actually got to play with Andy a couple months ago um, over Labor Day. Saw him while he was getting ready for the U.S. Open. It was uh, pretty sweet for him to get to play with Tiger three days. He played the first two automatically and then got paired with him on Saturday. And I mean, after that rough start, man, did he turn around. He was four over through four and finished six under for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, that, that was cool to see. Um, like you said, we, we played with him a couple times. He plays out at my course. He's always out there grinding. Good guy. Happy to see him come away with it. He he had a cool bit um, that he said in Butler's cabin that he was really nervous to play with Tiger and didn't know how he was going to approach him. And Tiger walked up and was like, hey, man, like, let's go do this thing. And he said, like, after that, he was tight for a few holes, but then he said it just felt like a round of golf. And so that, that was really cool to see somebody that we have a, a mutual connection with go out there and be the low am at Augusta and join what's uh, – pretty telltale sign of a successful career because there's a lot of huge names have been low ams at Augusta and gone on to do some pretty outstanding things. So, Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, we're not sitting here trying to, to give him the, the stamp of approval that he's going to have a 10 year, 15 year PGA tour career with lots of wins, but man, I mean, he's got, he's got such a solid game. Um, I mean, us amateur champion, obviously you have to have a heck of a game to be low end masters. Once again, you've got to have, incredible game i mean he played it with tiger i can't even imagine the nerves to begin with and after after he really settled in i mean it was it was just like normal sailing for him but yeah that was that was really cool to hear about how tiger kind of embraced him and and tiger tiger's smart enough and he's been there he knows what the nerves are like and he was just trying to help the kid out and it definitely helped definitely helped andy yeah and it's cool to see tiger in like the latter stages of his career take more of like a mentor role I mean, oh, that's, that's been my favorite part, honestly, since his whole comeback. He's, he's helped JT a lot, Ricky, who, you know, hopefully he'll get over the hump one of these days. But he, um, he's really transitioned from being that guy that was, like, super intimidating to play with to, you know, being somebody that everybody wants to play with now. So it's cool. Definitely cool to see. So, but, yeah, all in all, good Masters tournament. We'll um, reconvene here in, what, five months? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll finish off with this. Just a couple of cool, fun facts that, I mean, I don't know I, what. I've been watching the Masters now for 22 years. I can remember probably about 15 of them um, and never knew some of these things. So I want to see if you knew any of them. First off, do you know that there was an amateur dinner for all the amateurs? Like, kind of like how they have a champion's dinner, but it's all the amateurs. Yeah. I did not, actually. <laughs> that was something that I learned today listening to Andy talk that, uh, that I found out. And then – I learned this week that they give uh, these crystal glasses and bowls if you make uh, eagles or hole-in-ones or stuff out there for any player. I mean, gosh, can't even imagine how, how many like – somebody like Tiger or Phil and those type of players have at this point. Gosh, they probably have a thousand of them. But Yeah, they got enough to use them as cookout plates. <laughs> and, and then finally, something else I heard that was kind of cool was uh, at the Champions Dinner um, – Everyone sees obviously whatever the champion is is has as the specials, but that's not what everybody eats. You can actually still order off the regular Gus National menu at the dinner, which I'm sure is just horrible. Oh, I'm yeah, <laughs> but I I wonder I wonder how much uh, how 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 much you get made fun of if you don't take what the what the champion is serving and and you are off the menu. Can you imagine showing up and and you know? Yes, it might be something that you're not accustomed to, but 
you just decide to order yourself a burger instead of uh, at least giving the guy the acknowledgement. I mean, this is, this is like the lifelong dream for him. He waits a year to be able to serve his favorite meal. Yeah. You know, I almost think it would be the opposite. I think it would be weirder if more people ordered off of the Augusta menu. Like I, like if I was in that position and I wanted like, I don't something ridiculous. Uh, and I'm looking around the room and, Jack Nicholas is eating a burger. Tiger's got like chicken quesadillas. And that's what I'm saying. That would be, know, that'd like, be so I'd weird. Feel, look at everybody eating different things. I'd feel like an idiot. But um, <laughs> no, I, I think I would think that out of respect, most of the guys get the, the meal unless they have some sort of adverse I, thing to it. But yeah, you're probably right there. All right. Well, we can, we can wrap up the Augusta talk for the rest of the, the rest of our listeners out there that if uh you could go ahead and skip on i guess you've uh skipped through it now at this point if you uh really don't like golf and <laughs> no hard feelings there i know it's not for everybody but we'll go to uh another huge thing that i know we're both really excited to talk about um which is uh freddie freeman winning the mvp this year uh what what what's were your uh reactions on thursday night when you saw that uh finally <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was probably the first year that Freddie's had, you know, he, this, this is the year he deserved to win the MVP numbers. But as a Braves fan, Freddie's been there through some pretty dark days and still put out outstanding numbers with horrible teams. He's kind of always been the superstar that isn't in baseball. I mean, unless you're an avid baseball fan or a Braves fan, you probably wouldn't be able to pick Freddie out of a crowd. Yeah. And so it, it's cool to finally see him get some recognition for being what I think has been the best first baseman for a while now. And uh, to see him finally get it, it couldn't happen to a better guy. Super excited. Also hard to believe that this was the first time that the Braves have had an MVP since 1999. Yeah, since Chipper, right? Yeah, since Chipper. And we've had some pretty unbelievable players between now and then. So that I – I didn't know that. I guess I never really thought of it, but that it's cool to break that drought and couldn't be a better guy to do it with. Oh, and what, I mean, in 2020 of a year, like what a, what a year for it to happen in the terms of, I mean, he gets COVID right before they're about to start up the summer spring training and really gets terrible symptoms. I mean, he said one night, um, the first, the day that he got tested positive by the time that night he had, I think he said 103 or 104 degree fever. And he was literally praying that, he wasn't going to die. I mean, that's how scared he was. I mean, and so to think that he came back from that, still started the season on time, like a week later, no, no reps, no, nothing comes right out. And maybe for a few days or for about a week, he was a little sluggish, but after that, I mean, he got right back into it and boy, did he put up some numbers. I mean, I have, uh, I have some stats here that I'll just read off that are just, incredible he had a 33 game on uh on base streak at one point an 18 game hitting streak he reached base three times in 22 of the 60 games that they played uh in the regular season he here is nl ranks uh he was first in total runs that scored first in doubles first in extra base hits first in war second in batting average second in on base percentage second in slugging second in ops second in rbis second in total bases third in hits and third in walks. I mean, it's just pure domination. You're not going to get a whole lot better than that. And it, it's always overlooked, too, how good of a, a fielding first baseman he is as well. Is that, Gosh, I mean, that's it, a, it's, it's unbelievable what he does. Yeah, and that's a doesn't position. doesn't get credit for you it. Get, you don't get the Mookie Betts flashy catches, which we won't get down that <laughs> rabbit hole. But, I mean, the guy is just an absolute stud over there at first base. And he's a great, great leader, great fielder. Great hitter. He's just the hardest all around baseball player. And he just does it the right way, too. He's not flashy about it. He goes about his business, does what he can to win games. And it's just all around a great guy. I mean, yeah. the, guy the guy flew from uh, Washington down for his son's first T ball practice. And he flew down that morning, saw T ball practice, and then flew back up and played the game and then proceeded to have three hits. Like, yeah. I don't know how many people in baseball are doing that, but no. And he, when they were in the playoff bubble, he's in, in some like, I don't know. It looks like a convention hall room and he's given BP to his son. 
it's like, he's just a good dude. I, I couldn't be happier for him. And just seeing him finally start to be on a competitive team after some of the nonsense that he had to go through early in his career is just both as a Braves fan as, and as a Freddie fan is pretty awesome to see. It, it clearly proves uh... – they, they kind of figured this out last year when the Braves had Donaldson in that lineup. But, man, when you, put, when you put Acuna in front of him and then you have a big right-handed bat behind him, so you're going righty, lefty, righty, and that pitcher has to come out and face those guys. I mean, when you're facing Acuna and nobody wants, nobody wants to pitch to Ronald, and then you're up there facing Freddie, and then you, you almost have to attack Freddie because then you got Azuna behind you. So it's like he finally is starting to get pitched where I mean, for years when we were rebuilding, like you said, he was he was getting pitched around because nobody was scared to pitch to uh, to come up and face Marcakis or whoever behind him in the four hole. I mean, no disrespect to Marcakis, but it's just not the same punch as Azuna. No, it's not even close. And and he acknowledged that and acknowledged the importance of of the team role after he won the award, which just was cool to see. But yeah, that that first three in the Braves lineup, I'd put up against any. I mean, and especially now that they have the three batter minimum. Oh, yeah. I mean, you got a righty who can hit the ball to the moon, Freddie who can hit the ball virtually anywhere on the field, and then Azunia is another guy who can just, I mean, absolutely hit a ball through a brick wall. So it's it's a pretty scary lineup. And then even behind them, you got Albies who's a little streaky, I'd say, but – Someone you certainly have to respect. Dansby's finally come to his own at the plate. I mean, there's just no winner in that lineup that you can really get away from. And I think that's helped Freddie with his stats. And I think it's going to propel us to hopefully a, a World Series in the next few years. If we can keep everything together. We got to have a few additions, I think, but we're on the cusp. Yeah. What, what do you, I mean, there's a lot of Brace fans that are kind of talking about what they, what they think is uh, number priority number one, whether it be re-signing Azuna, um, getting Freddie's extension, which I know they're going to do. There's so there's too much mutual interest. Freddie wants to stay in Atlanta. Freddie, Freddie wants to be just like Chipper. He wants to, he wants to stay in Atlanta the rest of his career. So Atlanta will give him a competitive offer that he'll take. Um, I have no doubt about that, but do you think priority number one needs to be getting Azuna? Or do you think priority number one needs to be getting that extension and just getting that, that monkey off the back and just getting it out of the way? I think priority number one needs to be getting Trevor Bauer. I think we have some great starting pieces, but they're young. And just putting a stud like that, who's who grew up a Braves fan, from my understanding, I think it's it's somewhere yeah. that that we can get that one year deal that he loves. AA loves getting the one year deals. So I I would say that getting Trevor Bauer or some other viable starting picturing option is my number one. Number two would be keeping our current bullpen pieces. Three would be re-signing Azuna, assuming that we keep the DH in the National League. Which that is a they will. huge assumption, but I do agree. I, I think they will. And then four, like you said, I, the, if Freddie wasn't as interested in staying in Atlanta as he is, that's number one. But since he said time and time again he wants to be a Brave his whole career, then I think I think – I'm you can get it done. It at four. Don't get yeah, you can you can now. get it done at a later date. I mean, I I agree. Tra- Bauer would be an absolutely unreal addition to the staff. I mean, if you're rolling a staff out there of uh, get Soroka back healthy, and you're looking at Soroka, Freed, Bauer, um, Kyle Wright was coming into his own this year. Ian Anderson definitely came on this year. I mean, if you're looking at that as your starting five, gosh, that is going to be absolutely unreal for the entire season. But I I am definitely getting more and more afraid looking at already what, what the market's looking like with some of these players of um, that. I don't know what the Braves are going to be willing to spend. I mean, the Braves are one of the only, I think they're the only team that's actually owned by a publicly traded company. So they, we saw how much Liberty media lost this year in baseball. I mean, they had a, I think it was an astronomical number of like a 90% decrease in quarter two. I mean, they lost a lot of revenue and you just can't, you can't make that up. So I, I don't know how much you're going to truly spend this offseason. But, man, I sure hope that they do get the pieces that they, that they need because assuming you can get some fans back in 2021, this team could be really, really special with the right pieces. Yeah. And I think, I think the, our pitching 
in three years is going to be the strength of our team if we can hold the pieces that we have. I mean, Soroka, if he comes back 100% from his injury, which the reports seem positive that he's ahead of his rehab schedule. So I expect to see him back and inform Max Freed. I mean, for a while this season was a serious side young candidate, young guy. Um, Ian Anderson, who I, I loved. I have to put you on blast a little bit. When um, I, I watched Ian Anderson throw a few games of highlights, and I, I texted Kylie, and I said, what do you think about Anderson this season? And he said, he's too, young, or too, too raw, not this I, year. I, it was some of like, I was like, yeah, he's too raw. It, he's just going to need the time in the development camp. Let him work it out, and he'll be, he'll be ready for 2021. Well, if, if he was raw in 2020, I'd like to see what he does in 2021. Because yeah, was boy, crazy. was I wrong. I mean, <laughs> I was happy to be wrong. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I, uh, I didn't think he was going to have it. And, boy, did he develop quickly down, down at that, uh, that training camp. And, uh, man, was he an amazing piece for this team. I'm really, really glad that they did give the kid the shot. I mean, he doesn't get the shot if they don't have the injuries that they have this year. And, yeah, they found out that they really got something special in that kid. Yeah, and I also like out there. Wright, too. Oh, he, yeah. He didn't put up the numbers that a lot of people were expecting him to do this year, but he's got crazy good stuff. He just needs to get into his own a little bit in the MLB and get his confidence up there. Because he took a couple pretty good shellings, but he's got some pretty special stuff, and I think he'll be a really good piece going forward. I'm not, I'm not some, worried about him, even after – I understand that the, the Dodgers game was – that was bad. Like, it happens. Um but I don't think he's going to have that. I don't think it's going to be faulty like in terms of his implosion. I, I, I really don't think that. I think Kyle's got too much in him. I think he's. I think he'll just take it on the chin. He's going to have to move on and and get better next year. And I, I think he will. I, some other people I was thinking of that might be some more uh, ball not a budget type uh, pitchers if they don't get Trevor Bauer, which I know he'll be pursued by pretty much any team in baseball. Um, I, I don't think there's one team in baseball that doesn't need starting pitching and wouldn't take Trevor Bauer. Actually not <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, I mean, when was the last time we had a Cy Young candidate go out there and uh, on the market? I mean, I really don't know the last time baseball ever had a Cy Young winner going out in the market. So, um, But some other people I've thought of, uh, Adam Wainwright, is uh, out there. I know he's older, and I know he's not going to be the flashy, flashy guy, but uh, he actually pitched more innings than any Rays pitcher did this year. Even at his – he's like 38 or something, and he still pitched more innings than any Rays pitcher this year. Uh, he, he's got a lot in the tank, and, I, and he would be a great mentor-type pitcher, and another guy just like that would be, a, would be like a Charlie Morton, um, bringing in an, a veteran – to help some of these young guys that desperately need just one guy you can always count on to go out and give you your five innings, six innings of, yeah, it might be three run ball, but he's going to get your, he's going to get you those innings and then let your bullpen go from there. And you're not going to have to worry about your bullpen coming out in the third inning. I wouldn't mind us going with a veteran signing, but after the Cole Hamill signing this year, I have a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth with that sort of mentality. You and a lot of Braves fans, I and I, <laughs> I can't disagree with it. I mean, boy, that was bad. I know a lot of Braves fans really, really, really don't like Cole Hamels for what happened this year, but I will say he definitely – there's no doubt he helped uh, – he absolutely helped Max Reed. Uh, I, mean, I would agree. I know he didn't play – I know he – basically didn't even pitch for us. He pitched one game of like three innings, but in all the development on the side, he, he has helped Max Reed become who he is now. I would that agree. Would kind of another, 18 million for a pitching coach, but. Yes. Yes. <laughs> another uh, veteran that we just re-signed Josh Tomlin, who's been said to help a lot in the bullpen guys. Him, he's that the reason good. mentors come back. I mean, I, yeah. I love Tomlin. I, that guy, Talk about somebody that you can count on if you have to throw somebody out there to eat innings. I know he didn't do great when he was starting this year, but, man, when he, uh, w- when he was coming out of the pen, he was one of the best long men of just throw him out there. He knows what his job is. He's going to go out there. He's going to eat four or five innings if he has to, and he's going to put probably a three or four spot on the board, and you're going to save your pen that day. Yep. He is an all-around just team guy, and I'm glad that they got him back for for the league or for basically I think the minimum. I think it was one mil or maybe one point two five, 
So I was happy to yeah. see him come back. I think it was the one mil plus the, the two five incentives. You're probably right. I think that sounds right. But yeah, so I'd like to see him come back. I'm interested to see what happens with Melanson this offseason. I really want him to come back. It's it's interesting that uh, I really didn't think uh, coming into this year that Melanson was going to be kind of as wanted to come back as he is. But it really, everything I read from, you know, looking at Braves fans on Twitter and stuff, it's like, man, everybody loves the guy and they want him back. And it sounds like there could be some mutual interest there too. So I think after watching a few years of Braves pitching, just being abysmal, Melanson was kind of that guy for a while coming out of the bullpen, like him, Shane Green, that you were just like, okay, like this guy can pitch. Like I can relax and sit back a little bit where some other guys in the bullpen. And those Vizcaino days of you don't know yeah. what's going to happen uh, yeah. when they open those doors. Gosh, who was, yeah. who was before a Vizcaino? I know you really, really hated that guy. I, I, I wasn't cannot... a big Vizcaino guy. I, I, my thing is I just don't like guys that can't control the strike zone. Yeah. Like, it, you know, I hate – hate to bat again this guy more than I, I do, but just like Luke Jackson. Like, the, <laughs> I just – I have a hard time watching pitchers that just – like, they're down 3-1 in the count. And he's got great stuff, but I like guys that can just get the ball in the strike zone and just say, you know, hit this. Like, I'll throw my best pitch, and if you hit it, you hit it. But it – Yeah, he dances around a lot with that slider. I mean, it's – no doubt it's yeah. a wipeout slider, but – I mean, Melanson you, seems to control the zone pretty well for a guy who spins the ball as much as he does. And you know, in comparison to like this guy, you know, for example, that guy, I mean, I don't know if he could hit a poster board some days. So. <laughs> Melanson was no doubt successful when he came over the Braves. I mean, I think he converted all but maybe one or two saves. And I mean, if you want to count this as a full season, so basically ended up being more like a half season. So basically in two halves of the season, after they got him from the deadline last year, he only blew, I think it was one, it might've been two saves. Um, he blew, he did blow some tie game leads, um, but when they had, when they were turning it over to him for a save, uh, he was just about a sure thing for, for a full baseball season and a year and a half of, of time. But it was, I would love to see him come back because uh he does seem to be really liked in that bullpen. And, and there's something really to the bullpen guys getting along together out there. So. Yeah. And to see like growing up in the Kimbrel era of the Braves, like if we're not going to get somebody like that, who's just going to like absolutely murder you with fastballs, I'm perfectly fine with someone like Melanson taking the closing role. No. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, the, that's what, we've been looking for it since then. I mean, gosh, that was, those are the good old days when, I mean, you got to the seventh inning when they had that event rule trio, you got to the seventh inning and you basically knew the game was over. I mean, the race just had to, had to get a lead in the first uh, 20 or first, what, 18 outs or whatever. Um, and you knew the last nine were just guaranteed. So yeah. if they can, they're starting to get back to that point, which is really, really fun for them to, to, to have. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be an exciting hopefully, you know, five years or so to be a Braves fan. I think if we can hold what we have and add little pieces as we go, it's a team that's built to be in contention for a while. And, yes, we lost the Dodgers after having a 3-1 series, but the Dodgers are a team that's on the outs. I mean, they they needed it this year or next year. And the Braves is a team on the rise. You could even say might have even been a year early for us to get there. And They've pretty much been a year early. It almost seems like the whole time of, of yeah, they uh, just seem one to, division 18 to, to now, it almost seems like every time it's a year early. Yeah. They just seem to rise to the occasion. And, you know, unfortunately they didn't get past them after having a three, one lead, but the situation that they had to deal with, with the pitching, with all their injuries to even I mean, get to, if you would have said that we would take the Dodgers to seven, and the NLCS, <laughs> I would have said, all right, that's, that's good enough. Yeah. At me. the beginning of the playoffs. I, I mean, I think at times, before the playoffs, I mean, I think after uh, maybe it was after Freed got hurt and went to the went to the IL for his for his back stint in in August. I think I texted you and told you I was like, I don't even think the Braves are going to make the playoffs anymore. I mean, that that's yeah. how dire it looked at one point. I genuinely did not think the Braves would make the playoffs, and they took the Dodgers to one game away from going to the World Series. And the Dodgers were no doubt this year, even if the Braves had beat them, I would have told you the Dodgers were the best team in baseball. Yeah, I mean, they they were definitely the, the deserving World Series champions. It's just. 
it's one of those things. It's like painful to see it play out the way that it did. Where if, oh, like, no doubt the Braves would have you know been at, I don't know like two two or something or but yeah. to be to have a three one lead and blow it is always a little tough. But they'll have their opportunities against that team. I guarantee you. I would very much. Uh, I would be surprised if it's not the Braves and the Dodgers and the LCS again for probably the next two, maybe three to five years of just battling it out in the playoffs. I mean, the Braves are Braves fans better, better get ready to see a lot of Dodger blue because you're going to see that team in the playoffs for, yeah. for years. I think. I do too, but I think we got a lot more. I think the, we have a better, I think we have a better uh, a projection going forward. And they, I mean, they get a lot more media traction because it's an LA team, but like their big guy, their big up and comer is Dustin May. And I'm, I'm not incredibly impressed with him as of yet, as compared to at least our guys. I think Mike Soroka puts him to shame. I think Max Freed puts him to shame. I think Ian Anderson puts him to shame. Yeah, so. I mean, I know they got uh, uh, I know they got Walker Bueller, and that's probably their bona fide ace that they're going to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, Walker Bueller's nasty. I, you can't dispute that. That guy's a stud. Even though he wears his crazy, crazy tight pants. <laughs> that is true. I I have no explanation for that one, but <laughs> just had to throw that in there. Um, I guess there's really not much else of, I know as uh, the off season kind of, it, it's going to be a slow one. If uh, you're a baseball fan out there, be prepared for it to be a slow one. Um, I, I would say either it's maybe there's the off chance that all these players are going to want to try and sign early, but I really think that it, we're going to have to wait until January, February, start seeing signings because I think that these teams are going to have to wait and see what's going to happen with fans so that they know what their payroll is potentially going to look like. I think that you got to yeah. wait to see where the financial number is going to play, which is why I think it's going to be a really slow, slow off season. I agree. And just with, I mean, COVID starting to spike again, it's probably up in the air as of now. I mean, maybe we'll see some sort of limited capacity just with the, the vaccine coming out, but I mean, that's, that's not for a sports talk podcast, but yeah, it's, um, It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how they, they manage the financial side because even though most MLB teams are privately owned, that you know, those guys have still taken a beating too. So, no doubt. Um, and I guess uh, I know we're we're getting close here um, on time, so we'll we'll start wrapping up a little bit. This weekend really wasn't too big in terms of both NFL or college. Frankly, a college had all the decent SEC games got canceled this weekend for COVID. Um, so there really wasn't much that happened. Uh, NFL today, I mean, the, the Arizona game ending was, was fantastic. But other than that, there really wasn't much to talk about. Even the NFL, the Packers, Packers held on and avoided an upset. But other than that, there really wasn't any big upsets to talk about. Um, but I will say a little bit of breaking college football news that happened today was that Will, will Muschamp was fired from South Carolina, which as a Tennessee fan is definitely relevant to me. Um, Happy to see Will Buschamp go in some ways, in some ways not. Uh, Tennessee was starting to finally figure him out there for a while. We couldn't beat him, but uh, now it's a matter of who on earth South Carolina is going to bring in, which I think it's crazy. His buyout, I believe, was $17 million, and South Carolina is basically saying that the fan fallout and apathy of they're just getting tired of watching him is was going to be more financially – uh, burdening to the program than even his buyout in a COVID year when they've lost already the financials that they have. But some names that I've seen come out, which I'll ask you what you think about any of them. Obviously, uh, the huge hot name for everybody right now is uh, Hugh Freeze over at Liberty. Uh, I don't know. I, I could see it just because it, he, he, he's got the SEC experience. He's kind of in like that Lane Kiffin-ish yeah, area, in my opinion, where like he hasn't done anything great, but he hasn't done anything horrible. Where like you wouldn't be like, this is a, a gamble. He certainly brought him, brought his stock back up. I mean, I know he had the problems that he did, and it'll be interesting to see if uh, Greg Sankey will will let him back in the SEC. But I think a lot of South Carolina fans would be really, really excited to see Hugh Freeze come over, and then some more uh, interesting names that are all on the that mid tier range of of programs that are doing really good. Um, some head coaches for South Carolina fans to think about or, or SEC fans in general to, to keep an eye on for South Carolina. 
would be uh, uh, Billy Napier is the uh, head coach over at Louisiana Lafayette. They've the Raging Cages have had a great program for them for a few years now. Um, beating some really good teams. I mean, they were ranked in the top 25 at one point this year already, um, beating Iowa State the first week of the season. Uh, Coastal Carolina's head coach, uh, J- uh, Jamie Chadwell. Obviously, he's got the South Carolina recruiting background already, and their top 25 team. I know it's a COVID year, but that team is playing fantastic. Rhett Lashley is the uh, head coach, or is the offensive coordinator, my bad, at Miami, who's had a fantastic year. Um, and then finally, Luke Fickle, who's the head coach at Cincinnati. And, and I'd argue that Cincinnati might be looking at a potential college football playoff bid this year. So, I mean, those are all some, some mid-tier uh, guys and one coordinator as well that I think that South Carolina fans could keep an eye on as, as potential for their head Fickle's coach. I think Fickle's going to be really highly sought after. Um, he, oh, yeah. That's going to be the hot name from the mid-tier this year. There's no yeah. doubt. He was the interim coach at Ohio State after Jim Tressel resigned after all the oh, – I didn't know that. The Tat Five with Trail Pryor <laughs> and all those guys. But uh, he's got some experience with coordinating and, you know, big conference. So my question would be, would it – I mean, granted, put yourself in the shoes of a South Carolina fan. Would you rather see a coordinator from – let's say the SEC step up and take the head coaching role, or would you rather see them bring in, you know, say a coastal Carolina coach or. I think, I think South Carolina has a, they've, they've kind of been going in this direction um, recently, or at least it seems to me like they have uh, that they're, they've seen the Saban disciple uh, play out now and they've, they've had it themselves with Will Muschamp, but gosh, how many teams in the SEC have tried to do it now? I mean, Tennessee's tried to do it, two times with Derek Dooley. Now they're trying to do it with Jeremy Pruitt. Georgia's trying to do it with Kirby Smart. Um, and then you've got Muschamp was down there at Florida and now was doing it at uh, South Carolina. You're not going repl- to replicate what Nick Saban has. And I think in the SEC at this point in time with the way these schools are, I think they got to go out and they've got to do something different and be unique to themselves and, and try and create an identity for South Carolina and stop trying to do what other teams are already doing. I think they, I think that would be successful to them because South Carolina has never been the powerhouse program that, you know, a Tennessee even, or definitely Georgia and Florida. Hey, Tennessee's had those years. Don't give me that look. Um, (laughs) Many moons ago. ago, Yes. Uh, But I, I, they just don't have that blue blood. Um, that, that blue blood kind of stickered beside them. So they, they almost have to have kind of, I think, the, their own special identity. I mean, I don't think South Carolina is a bad, bad job at all. I mean, you're, you are in the East. There's a lot of talent in South Carolina. You got Georgia's right next door. Obviously, North Carolina's right there. It's really tough that you got Clemson, your big brother, right down the road. But um, there's – That's the point I was going to bring up. That's the hardest part about taking the South Carolina role is you got to – talk to those big time recruits with Clemson right there and say, like, this is a better opportunity. Because if you're getting recruited, I mean, powerhouse or not, if you're getting recruited to an SEC team, you're, you're a talent. Oh yeah. Of, you know, maybe Vanderbilt, Missouri, but I mean, you got to convince some four star or five star recruit that you're going to be better off playing for me than Dabo Sweeney. I mean, the only thing that he can – that South Carolina will get to sell is definitely playing time comparative to probably a Clemson. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a tough sell. I'm not going to try and deny you of that, and it'll be a tough sell for a coach. But South Carolina will get, a, will get a good coach, and it'll be interesting to see who it is and also how long it takes um, to, to pull that all together just with financials and everything. But that'll, that'll be something to watch going forward. I mean, it's – no, mid-November now, so you're looking at a month left of the season, and then after that, um, what could be really interesting is uh, with all these COVID cancellations, the SEC has now expanded their games to December 19th, which, if I'm not mistaken, the signing day for football, the early signing day, is actually December 16th. So you could have signing day and still have games to play, which means you might not even have a head coach and you're trying to sign a class, which will be immensely difficult if that's the case. Yeah, that's, that's not a situation that they want to find themselves in. 
but, no way. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to see how that plays out. But uh, other than that, I mean, really not too much else. I uh, I do appreciate. It. I hope uh, hope all the listeners out there enjoyed uh, our takes on on everything. This is really what this kind of podcast is going to be about. It's clubhouse talk comes from you know this is the kind of conversation that me and Joe would have if we just got out and played around a golf and then we were going to sit around and, and have lunch and, and watch some sports and just talk. So that that's kind of what it's supposed to be. We're not, we're not going to be your talk show of Stephen A. Smith and, and Max Kellerman of trying to argue with each other all day, but we'll have different takes on some and we'll probably agree with each other on a lot of other things. Um, yeah. And, and we're going to try to bring in some guests from various parts of the sports world and even just some people that we know that are big sports fans that will be able to dive into, you know, different aspects that we aren't as privy to yeah we'll we'll try and have some interviews with some interesting people we have a friend that mutual friend that caddies on the pga tour maybe try and bring him in to to give a perspective of the caddy life i know a lot of people hear the the player life but maybe not so much what the caddy life is like um and and maybe some other some other uh things that we're trying to line up we'll see how well this uh podcast goes but we do hope that, that you guys uh keep taking a listen to this we'll for right now, our plan is to do uh, one one time a week podcast. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday night, so we'll try and have this up by uh, Monday after I get used to all the audio uh, tuning, because that'll be my job on this podcast. Will be the the editing and and putting it together. But we'll hope to have it up on Monday on all the all the streaming platforms out there. But one thing I will ask everybody to do is uh, like, share, and especially review this podcast. If there's anything you guys want to hear. Uh, or any ideas that you guys have, we're all ears. Obviously, we're just starting, so any uh, critique, good or bad, I'm I'm all ears. I'm sure you are too. Um, oh yeah. So give us a follow. We'll make a. We're gonna make some social media accounts for the podcast as well, so that we can uh, post the post the links to our podcast when you guys know it's out. So we'll have a Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, just search Clubhouse Talk, and I'm sure you guys will be able to find it with the same uh, same picture as this. Uh, as our podcast will have on your streaming platforms. So any, uh, any last words, Joe? No, good stuff. It's about as good of a week as any as a, or at least from my seat as a sports fan. So no complaints uh, here. Can't beat masters week. I don't care what else happens in the world. You can't beat masters. Uh, can't beat masters week coming off the heels of Freddie winning the MVP. It was, it was a good one. Absolutely. I can rest easy on this week. Well, let's hope for uh, let's hope for some good college football games this week. Let's hope that uh, we can get some games played next Saturday. There weren't too many this week, and so let's hope for more. Hope uh, these teams can get their COVID situations under control, and that we can have some more uh, football to talk about next week. Absolutely. All righty. Well, we'll uh, we'll go ahead and cut it here, and uh, hope everyone has a has a fantastic day and great rest of their week. Yep. Yeah, good stuff. All right. 